Gavin and Patrick. So Gavin, Gavin runs OprahMachine.com, created and runs OprahMachine.com, and I'm happy to say that I help him with Oprah Machine. And he also created Jersey Leaks. He has Ocean County Politics. He's an investigative reporter. And we have Patrick Duff, who I just met, but who is one of our most active users on Oprah Machine. Gentlemen, it's a pleasure to talk to you both. Thanks for having me. So uh, I think we should talk a little bit about uh, Oprah Machine in general, just how successful it's been, where how it came from, and then we should talk about how Patrick, I can say a little bit myself as well, how we have used it, um, how all three of us have used it, and then we can transition. Uh, the, the centerpiece of this to me is what Patrick is now going through because of something that started on Oprah Machine and he's having some, uh, he's going to be going to court soon with something that uh, related to requests, troubles that he's having. So, Gavin, give us a, you know, brief background on uh, Oprah Machine, on how it came to be, on that I think it's the first implementation of the framework that it's based on, and uh, how, you know, how successful it's been, and just, you know, just give us your thing. Yeah, certainly. So Oprah Machine is New Jersey's first statewide freedom of information uh, portal. That's how I've described it. And, uh, you know, we have the New Jersey Open Public Records Act, which gives everybody the right to access public records. And that's been on the books for, for some time now. And uh, our premise is quite simple. What we've been doing is um, as somebody files a request, everything from the initial request to the full chain of correspondence, if there's denials, if they need clarification, all of that is public in addition to any of the documents that uh, the government agencies provide. And, and I believe that this this model that we have has benefits to both the government agencies and uh, users alike because now we can have it through Oprah Machine. No other platform in New Jersey does this where one person can file an Oprah request obtain these documents, and now, uh, by way of our technology, uh, those documents are available to an infinite number of people um, because we're hosting them right here on our server. And the, the impact we've had, we launched this in October of 2017, and, and Jeff, you've been with us for, for a large portion of, of uh, our journey with this. And, uh, you know, since then, we've had just over 1,500 open requests. We have 700 and 77 uh, government agencies, be they municipalities, school boards, MUAs, et cetera, et cetera. And of those 777, we do actually have all 565 uh, municipalities in New Jersey. Now, our, our uh, ability to get them to comply has been a little bit uh, varying between each, each town. Some have been better than uh, others, as we have seen, and we'll be getting into you know, some of the litigation and the other stuff uh, later in the interview, of course. And uh, so, so with this database of public entities that we have, um, you know, we, we have been publishing gigabytes of government data in all 21 counties of New Jersey. And I, I believe our platform is really the first, uh, the first thing that really allows the full potential of the Open Public Records Act to be realized. Because if you actually read the if you read the statute of the Open Public Records Act, you know, the, the legislative intent is to have an informed citizenry, you know, and in a democracy like ours, we need to be able to have authoritative information to be able to make 
our, our decisions and, and to exercise our votes in the most informed way possible. And, um, you know, the impact we've been seeing is, you know, there are benefits, as I've said, there's benefits to both the government and, um, and to citizens from this. I, I spoke with a clerk in Monmouth County, and she said, you know, she wishes there was something like this around because a lot of the times you see people are asking for similar things, and if we're able to release it to the entire public through one open request, people are able to really uh, learn a lot. And, and even something that I've seen that's been a curious use of open machine, uh, we've even had uh, government agencies using it to compare themselves to other towns, other municipalities, et cetera, et cetera. So really, you know, our motto is opening up New Jersey government uh, one request at a time. And uh, I, I've been quite impressed with the, the impact we've been having, you know, in just the, the five or six months or so uh, that we've been operational. So you're saying that uh, how, can you give an example of how one agency is comparing itself? How do you? Yeah, so, I mean, I, 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 I don't want to get into, you know, we have analytics data that we collect, and uh, I don't want to disclose all of that because I do want to be sensitive to, to user privacy concerns. But, for example, we've had um, individuals that are responsible for uh, responding to OPA requests, for example, the custodians of records. Um, we've had them look at similar OPA requests and even use it as a tool to educate themselves on what the law is, you know, instead of having to go, uh, you know, right to a municipal attorney or something like that. Some of these towns were able to come in and, uh, you know, they've researched our database to see how have other municipalities responded to similar open requests or even, you know, what types of data um, are out there. So we've had, you know, in another instance we had, you know, as far as uh, property records and tax data. Um, we even had, um, in one instance, we had an individual, uh, you know, from a township that we were working with that was responsive to our concerns as far as uh, making sure the requests were getting through. And then that particular individual went from helping facilitate responses to open requests to actually registering for an account himself and then using our service to submit his own public records request. So there's definitely, there's definitely value to both sides of the equation uh, with our platform. That's great. So... Can you give an example of some things that Oprah, Oprah Machine has? And I mean, I've, can you give an example of something that Oprah Machine has exposed? And I don't mean, I don't mean the information that the documents themselves show. I mean, interesting situations. For my one example that comes to mind for me is, uh, we had one user, Jen Alexander, who has often contacted us saying that sensitive information has accidentally been placed in these documents and they don't have, and users don't have the permission to take documents down, so we have to deal with that kind of thing. Is there other examples or, there seems to be quite a lot of that. Are there other examples of things that Oprah Machine has exposed in that kind of way? You know, I think you raise a very important concern uh, as, far as, as far as the situation that Jen has brought to us. Uh, one, one in particular that uh, uh, Jen has brought to me was probably about two months ago where we had a police department in Monmouth County. Uh, they inadvertently ended up releasing social security numbers for every single one of their police officers. And obviously, obviously whenever something like that is brought to my attention, you know, I, I, we don't want social security numbers. We don't want anything like that. But, you know, these things do happen. It can be messy. But to speak to your original point about the stuff that's been exposed, um, I would say probably one of the best things that we've gotten 
um, as, as far as open machine, as far as the stuff that we're exposing. I, I know Patrick's going to get into the stuff that he's been exposing through it. Um, but we've been getting settlement agreements for lawsuits. So um, up in Mawa, they had the Eruv uh, lawsuit where the Orthodox Jewish individuals, they, they alleged uh, in a federal civil rights lawsuit, you know, that the ordinances that Mawa adopted uh, violated their civil rights. So somebody actually requested the settlement agreement that resolved that litigation. We have that on Open Machine. Um, one particular settlement agreement that I requested through Open Machine, we had um, this, this woman, Lori Cahill. She was a lieutenant with the Ocean County Sheriff's Department. She had a whistleblower lawsuit from 2014, um, and it was initially reported when she filed the lawsuit. Um, but the press, the Asbury Park Press, they, they didn't follow up on their story. They never reported as far as what actually happened with it. So we were able to conclude that story. We, we, I obtained, with my request through Open Machine, a copy of the settlement that showed she received a $300,000 settlement to resolve her whistleblower lawsuit. Uh, we had another incident where we had a Ninth District Assemblyman, um, you know, who, who received a job um, at the Ocean County Health Department, and some some individuals have questioned, uh, you know, whether a, a state legislature slater and he, he's also an attorney, um, if, if he's able to effectively serve in that role. We obtained the employee payroll records that authoritatively confirmed he was indeed working with the health department, and we were able to almost combine both of the uh, sites, and, and uh, I reported on that at Ocean County Politics, my other uh, website. And, uh, you know, we've been getting all sorts of things like that, um, and especially, I would say, because New Jersey's, if you look at New Jersey's court database for our state court cases, it really is a relic of a different era in technology. It's not very user-friendly. It's not mobile-friendly. So I think one of the most interesting use cases for Open Machine, and I, I did a separate video about this um, on the Open Machine blog, um, where we're having people come in and they're using Oprah to obtain uh, court documents, lawsuits, all sorts of legal paperwork that if you requested it directly from the courts, you wouldn't have all the uh, benefits of Oprah and be able to get it free of charge. You'd be stuck paying fees and dealing with paper copies. Um, individuals uh, through Open Machine, they're able to, you know, anytime a municipality, county, or government agency is served with a lawsuit or other legal document, somebody can just Oprah that through Open Machine, and then now the entire public can be aware of it. So really it's been... Uh, at every juncture, almost every week, there's something new uh, that somebody is requesting. And I think it, it just goes back to my original point about how this is a tool to really uh, further democracy, ensure that the public is informed, and allow people to really see where their tax dollars are going, what their governments are up to. And then, you know, they can take that information and they can decide from their, for themselves uh, whether they think the government is doing good things or not so good things, and that's that's important. Um, okay, so Gavin, a couple more questions. One, can you talk a little bit about the pushback that you've gotten about Oprah Machine itself? To keep, uh, organizations simply saying, or entities simply saying, Oprah Machine is not valid. We do not have to respond through it at all. So, so yeah, you know, that, this is an interesting uh, situation, and I, I think it also speaks to some of the weaknesses in the current version of the Open Public Records Act. There's been a lot of chatter about um, some of the open reform measures. Uh, Senator uh, Loretta Weinberg has been one of the leading voices 
uh, on some of those proposals, and she's actually, you know, to her credit, uh, Senator Weinberg really is advocating for a lot of uh, a lot of uh, changes that would be favorable for the public. But with, with respect to some of the pushback, um, the biggest challenges we've seen with some of these towns is they refuse to honor emailed open requests, which I, I think is just farcical, um, because in this day and age, um, email. So you should actually standards. you should actually back up just a tiny bit and describe how open machine works as far as email is concerned. Yes. So, so the, the underlying premise of the way Open Machine works as far as emails go is users do not have to expose their private email address to make a request through Open Machine. So the way that Open Machine works is when a user goes to submit an open request through our system, Open Machine generates a unique ID for each open request, and that unique ID is used by our system to track that open request from the minute it's filed to, you know, when it's eventually uh, fulfilled or otherwise. And uh, as a result of that system, each individual open request based on that unique ID is assigned its own unique email address. And we have a separate subdomain, uh, requests.openmachine.com, that sends those out. And um, to, to somebody that's responding to a request, say, from the clerk's end, it looks like just any other email um, that they would receive. And then when they reply, the magic happens on, on our server where it detects that that unique ID of the open request receives a response, and then so, it's able to send out a notification to the user, et cetera, et cetera. So, for example, one of the email addresses might be like 12345abcdefg at openmachine.com. Correct, yes. So, so through that system... We, we think that's the best way of doing this because it's it's no burden for the municipalities. Everybody uses email, and there's there's no proprietary software that they have to install, no uh, you know outlandish workflow or everything. You know, we also have the option, and I think this is an option that has been underutilized uh, by some of the uh, public entities. But we also have the option um, where somebody can can load up if they are affiliated with the public entity and responsible for responding to open requests, they can log in uh, to the site, make an account, and they can actually upload documents and respond directly through Open Machine if they wanted to bypass email. But, you know, our default most supported option is email because, you know, that's, that's something that's common. Everybody has access to, and we think that simplifies things for both uh, people making the requests and uh, uh, the custodians of records themselves. Okay, so so they're they're not objecting per se to Open Machine. They're just using email as an excuse to shut out Open Machine. So they're saying email is invalid, and oh well, since email is invalid, we can't use Open Machine. So has there been um, had are there any is there any litigation or GRC uh, complaints or whatever it's called going on related to that? So, so yeah, the biggest thing, you know, I, I, would, I would like to stress that this has been the minority um, as far as the situations we face. The overwhelming majority of requests, we, we haven't had a problem uh, as far as email goes. And, and to, to the credit of a lot of these government agencies, we've had some people that have been very responsive and have been on board from, from day one and have been good. Uh, but th- this minority, uh, I think it's going to be something that has to be addressed legislatively to kind of bring Oprah up to speed a little bit because right now 
the current legislative framework that's in place only requires one electronic method of, of submission. And I, I just think in 2018, that's not good enough. I think so like they're facts? able to box people in. Yeah, so some places, some places it, it varies pretty widely. So some, some places they'll only take fax requests but not email. Some places refuse fax requests but will take email. So oh, one website. Website. Yeah. Which, which you pointed out to me in your some complaint or something that you were showing me that these these entities have websites and they say, oh, you can only use our website, but you discovered, or I guess we discovered, that behind these websites they're just emailing them to themselves. Well, that's how it is for the – and this is how it is for almost all of these systems. There's some different proprietary Oprah portals that these towns use, but this actually speaks to the issue with the Attorney General's office. So what I did actually – the issue with the Attorney General's office, um, anything that's in the, under the Attorney General's office um, or Department of Law and Public Safety, so all those other little boards and commissions that fall under the Attorney General's office, they're requiring everybody to go through the state's Oprah Central system. And I have some problems with this system because, one, it's not acceptable for I mean, you could load it up on a mobile device in theory, but the way it's laid out, it's not friendly to any touchscreen or anything like that. Oprah machine is. Secondly, I've analyzed the computer source code. Of uh, I gotta give myself credit code. here. I gotta give myself credit here. I showed you. I I found out those emails in the source code. We worked on that yes. together. It was a while ago. Yes. So, but I'm taking. Yes, credit. Jeff. Jeff, you were in, you, you were integral in, uh, in in putting this together. And then what I did with that information after analyzing their source code and seeing, wow, you know, after you first flagged this and brought us to our to our attention. All it is, it's just a web form that sends this information to a designated Oprah email address for all these agencies. So then what I subsequently did is I took those uh, email addresses and I loaded them into Oprah machine. And uh, for the most part, like the Department of Transportation, the, the DEP, um, even the governor's office, which are all in this proprietary Oprah system the state has, they've answered our requests with no problem, which has been a good thing. Our only pocket of resistance from there has been the Attorney General's Office, Department of Law and Public Safety, and, uh, you know, ridiculously, they can respond, they respond to the request to say, oh, we don't take emailed open requests, we have to go through our system, um, but they are receiving them, and I, I think part of the way they're able to get away with this is the current weaknesses in, in Oprah only requiring one electronic form of submission. So what I did in response to that I filed an administrative petition for rulemaking to try to get them to change the That's silly little me. NJ, yeah, the silly little NJAC regulation that they had um, that they were using as a basis to deny this. Um, in, in January or so, Kevin Jesperson, who is one of the um, one of the assistant attorney generals that, that works under the current attorney general, he was also there in the Christie administration too. He came back. He shot down our administrative rulemaking petition. But what I did is I filed in November when this whole situation first started with the Attorney General's office, I did an OPA request to get the email logs, you know, which is a printout of the email inbox for anybody that's not familiar with email logs listening, um, for the custodian of records from the Attorney General's office. So I could use that as evidence to show, hey, look, they're receiving all of these OPA requests. It's going to the same email inbox as their other stuff. Um, so, so what's the deal? Why, why can't they respond? So I was victorious in my lawsuit against the Attorney General's office. We're still awaiting to 
receive these email logs, but I believe they will further support our position that they're being unreasonable here and that it's the same endpoint. All of these requests are going to the same place, yet and they refuse to respond to, to ours, you know, just on that technicality. Not only are they going to the same place, but they receive them in exactly the same form as they would through the website. The only difference is, is that the from address is different. So That's it's a right. very, very... I, I just want to also note, they also, you know, what they will say is that, oh, you know, when you do it through their system, it gets entered into their database, you know, and that's how they keep track of stuff. But what's, what's, what needs to be noted about this is they also accept paper-mailed open requests through snail mail, and they have no problem manually entering those requests into their database, but not ours. I think it's farcical that in 2018 they will play games with technicalities for emails, yet will still try to direct people to do paper mail, which is slow, wasteful, and, you know, certainly in 2018, email should be a bare minimum for, for any government agency. And, and wow. you know, this is a concern I hope to bring to, to Senator Weinberg and some of the other individuals that are working on OPA reform, so hopefully they can at least take this under advisement to see, you know, we really need to modernize the provisions of OPA dealing with electronic access to records because, in 2018, we shouldn't be directing people to snail mail. I just think that's unacceptable. All right. Well, I have a lot more questions. I think we should think we should set up another thing to talk more about Oprah Machine because I think there's just a lot to talk about with it. It's very exciting. Certainly. Um, but but I want to get to Patrick. So Patrick, you are one of the more active users. I actually don't know the the level of activeness compared to other people, but um, you're, you clearly use Oprah Machine a lot. Why don't you just give a uh, how you discovered it? Um, I mean, I guess a, a tiny bit of background about yourself and then how you discovered Oprah Machine, what you use it for, and what you've uh, found through it. Yeah, so I'm a, um, I, I like to do research. I'm, I'm like a, uh, kind of like an investigative, um, kind of like an investigative reporter, but, but for myself. I like to figure out um, things in history. I like to uh, kind of interject myself into situations. Um, and I've been a civil rights activist for a while. I've been... Um, you know, committed acts of civil disobedience at the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia where I had some wonderful religious ceremonies and smoked marijuana as a Rastafarian uh, and uh, went to federal court and uh, actually uh, lost the case, but then on appeal won the right to use and possess cannabis anywhere in the country uh, except for federal locations. So um, went out to California, opened up dispensaries that were churches also, and... Um, so the entire time I've, I've been doing this, though, um, each time I'd go to a different municipality, I would always figure out their their laws, their rules, their regulations, um, how they operate, you know, go down to the city councils and um, make sure I make myself known. So I've always been an active um, community member wherever I'm at. Um, just an example, like I lived in Smyrna, Delaware for a while, and they had no crosswalks to get across the street for the busiest road in town where half the town couldn't get to the stores. And, you know, I looked up the records and people had been getting struck and killed and, you know, for, for, for years. And um, I went down to the city council and just said, hey, I don't know if you guys realize it, but, you know, the game Frogger might have been invented in the highway. <laughs> and uh, you might want to think about crosswalks. So they got the crosswalks, they put them exactly where I asked them to do it. And um, so 
so but I, what I also do is I like to investigate um, history, and um, and I'm also you know as you know a big legalization activist, and I like court. I, I enjoy to, to to try to battle in court. Um, let's see, three years ago I filed a lawsuit against the city of Philadelphia um, in federal court because they don't have open public comment at their city meetings. So you don't have they have no general comment section. They only let you comment on items on the agenda on the final passage calendar, and almost every single week, <laughs> they waive you, the rules of counsel. What do you mean final passage calendar? So, so literally, so they have, so there's two passage calendars. You have the first calendar where you'll, you, it'll be up for, for a hearing, and then the final passage calendar. So each, each bill should be on the calendar twice, so people would have the chance to either make a comment, or at least the public has a chance to hear what the bill is about. Um, so w- what happened was when I moved back to California, I wanted to go speak about something in Philadelphia, and I walked into the city council meeting, and the lady says, well, you have to sign in here, and you have to pick an agenda. And I said, excuse me? <laughs> I was like, that's not, what, that's not the way it works. You know, um, I pulled out my phone. I looked up the sunshine laws. I showed her. I said, hey, take a look right there. I can comment on matters of concern or matters that maybe or are on the agenda. So I'm not writing a number down. Well, you're not going to get up there and speak, she said. So. I wrote her number down. I went up. I segued and told them they're, you know, in violation of, of the Sunshine Laws, and uh, filed a suit. And but the suit, the judge said, since they let me speak, there was no tort, and uh, therefore, um, you know, the, 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 the court couldn't intercede. Uh, that being said, three weeks ago I went down there during Sunshine Week, by the way, um, and I uh, made public comments, and uh, and they did cut me off this time. And they removed me from the podium and didn't allow me to speak. And, um, and so in the next week or two, I'll be filing a lawsuit with the city uh, of Philadelphia. Um, but as to Open Machine, I was at a friend's court hearing. Well, and, before, uh, before you continue on Open Machine, how about how yeah. long had you been doing records requests before October oh. last year or whenever you discovered it? So oh, generally, for, how long? For five or six years. Okay. You know, and... Um, so I've been doing it mainly. I'd get the forms off of the people's websites. I'd fill out the forms and fax them or, um, you know, whatever that the person told me to do, I would do. Um, and, and it was like jumping through hoops. It really was. And how um, many states are you talking about? Because Oprah Machine only applies to New Jersey just for Well, well I've done uh, in, in New Jersey, uh, you know, Camden County, Burlington County, um, you know, different, different entities in the counties. Uh, the DEP, Stockton. No, what other um, sta- let me ask that again. What other states have you done records requests in? Oh, uh, Pennsylvania and California. Okay. Yeah, so um, just just now in Pennsylvania, uh, I'll give an example. Um, they had that big Starbucks incident that happened over there in, um, in Philadelphia where the two uh, African-Americans were taken out and arrested. So I filed a um, – over in Philadelphia and Pennsylvania, it's called the Right to Know Law. I filed a right-to-know request in, in Philadelphia with a basic email. And it's funny because they denied a big portion of my request because it was an informal request made by email. So it's kind of similar to what, uh, you know, Gavin was talking about. But that being said, what they did supply me with was the 911 calls from the location uh, of the Starbucks. Meaning and the time it, and the, the time. Time, the, the date, and the, and the, and the incidents. Okay. So what the incidents were, the time, the date, and if there was any arrests. So 
what I did was I knew that the manager started in 2017 that people had a problem with. So I, I got the 911 calls all the way back to 2016. And in 2016-17, in one year, they made 11 911 calls, and two were for removing a person, basically, for it was called like a 3036 or something like that. I forget the exact number, but, but the number that it, that it correlated to was the number of basically a person kind of loitering in a store. Right? So there was two calls. From 2017, the beginning of 2017 to 2018, there were 28 calls. Wow. For that same. Wow. And what's special about the beginning of that period? Is that's when this woman, Holly Hinton, started working there, who the Daily Mail, if you read it, there's an article in the Daily Mail, there was an African-American employee, a woman named Alicia Cash, who was working there that said as soon as she started working there, um, everything As soon as this Holly manager. Holly Hinton, Yeah. And that, you know, um, people would get the cops called on her, and she, she got demoted. Um, she wound up asking she, the She, the, the employee. The African-American employee, yeah. Okay. And, uh, and, and was treated, you know, maliciously by this woman. But, you know, one person saying that's one thing, but showing that, and, and just so you know, in that year, it wasn't just 28 calls under that one thing. There was... 42 total calls made to Starbucks at, at 38 or 18 from and Starbucks to the police. From so there Starbucks. were two. There were two the year before, and there were 40. There was, the next there was, a, there was 11 total the year before, with and, two and of them being this kind of call. With of two the, of them being this kind of call. The second then, year, you have 28 the same call. And listen to this though. So 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 about, wait, hold on. Let me. So 11 total calls, two of them for basically get these people out of here. And then yes. the next year was like 40-some calls 42. overall, 42 calls overall, and 20, 28. So 28, 28 of them for this for basically these people are just sitting in my store and they won't leave. Yes. Okay. Yes, yeah, so it's quite an increase. Um, but there's also six of those other 12 calls that were um, literally it said, um, uh, you know, it was a different code number, but it said unfounded. You know, so they came out several times, and they themselves, the police marked it as unfounded. What so, unfounded, oh. they didn't didn't find anything that oh, was going the on. Oh, just saying, why the hell did you call us? Yeah, the oh, police wow. are saying that. They said and it was what, unfounded how, call. So that was. So you have the measures of unfounded for both years as well. Yeah, absolutely. And just uh, say, and we'll, say what they are again. Uh, the, the the unfounded for that year, I believe there was, there was no there was there was no unfounded calls in 2016. I'm going to okay. get my computer and I'm, I'm going to look exactly as, as we speak. But um, but I can say so, so when we fast forward to 2018, which is this year, you got your what three and a half months um, basically in right in the fourth month. Um, there were um, uh, three, 15 calls so far to 911. There's 15 total calls in the first three months. So if you do that math, I mean she was on track for 60. For the year. Wow. Um, yeah. Three of those were for that same charge that, that you know, people just staying and not buying nothing. And um, one of – one and it really would be four because the only um, two people to be arrested in the year 2018 were the two people that were arrested that were the black guys that caused the big stir. Right. In 2017, wow. there was one person arrested. 
Okay, this I, I, I said this to Patrick, but I'm saying this in front of Gavin. This is big news, and you already wrote this up. I, I you already wrote this up, but to have this in article form where these records are either screenshot or linked to, and so on in the article, that is a big deal. So you are you already Absolutely. he already wrote up on Facebook uh, in just sort of textual form with the basic information, but to have this in an article form with screenshots and links to the documents that you got, that will be big news. That will yeah. absolutely be big news. That's exciting to to. So let me that. just give give it give it the the, the actual uh, the right. So there was one incident in 2016 that was unfounded out of the 11. So the okay. numbers here are 69 total calls between 1 1 of 2016 and 418 of 2018, 11 of which were made in 2016. So that means 58 calls were made to the Starbucks in one or in about 15 and a half months. From the Starbucks to the police. From wow. the Starbucks to the police. So as I wow. look through here, um, you know, and, and you, you can see there's 3306 is, is the charge number. Um, and there's another one that's 3301. That's, that's like a disturbance inside that they have that a couple of times also. Mm-hmm. Um, what's, mm-hmm. what, what's most interesting here, what's most interesting is that the African American gentlemen were arrested on 412 uh, of 2018 at approximately 4.40 p.m., a little bit after 4.40 p.m. It says okay. here that they were called for at 4.40 p.m. 2614, which is a defiant trespass. Okay? Wow. Now, that's number 61, right? That's that's number 61 on li- this list. Okay. There is no number 62, so now. Number 62 has disappeared. Um, they don't show it, um, so I don't know what it is. Maybe there was another call made during it by one of the customers to the police. Who knows what number 62 is, but it's, it's not there. I've requested for them to give it to me. But 18 minutes after these men were arrested and the call was made on them, there was another call for a 3306, a person in the restaurant. So it sounds like somebody got pretty emboldened at that point and decided they'd utilize the 911 system again. You are sitting on a gold mine here, okay? Yeah. <laughs> I told, so Gavin, he, he's written, you know, he doesn't know how to do like WordPress or whatever. He's going to learn it. He, he's not, he's going to pick it up real fast. But so I'm, I'm like, I will do whatever you need to make this into a formal article because this is exciting stuff. And yeah, the, I think that's great. I mean, the detail, the attention, especially, you know, I mean, my experience, Patrick, with Uber Plus, you know, you're, you're obviously a very detail-oriented person. You're connecting all these dots, and I, I think it's a good thing that you, you're doing this, and I think this will give some much-needed context to this story because obviously there was a lot of public interest in this whole whole situation with that Starbucks you know, yeah, and the fir- first thing I said to people were, you know, because people were like, they're shocked by the video. I said, I said, you know who wasn't shocked? Did you notice how the black guys weren't shocked? Right? Uh, it was just like, okay, okay, yeah, we're going to yeah. go. So, so, so who were the people most upset were the white people. So this, okay, so after you create, this is the last thing I'm going to say about this article because uh, sure. this is too much of a tangent right now, but yeah, but it's exciting. So. You, you, after you write whatever you write and we come up with that, then you go into Starbucks and you ask that manager for a statement after you show her the article. Well, she's no longer there. Well, whoever, find her yeah. somehow. And then those two gentlemen as well. Absolutely. Certainly there's some way to find them. And that, oh, and I bet, would, how about the other 40 plus people? Right. And that you know? would be, that would be the cherry on top of this article. That would really, really round it out really nicely. So, sure. Wow. All right. So, so that's but really, as, at, 
as to Oprah machine, um, just so you know, it's, it's, it was something where I was literally sitting in a court and I was showing somebody an Oprah request. I was showing this guy, his name's, uh, Edward Grimes. They call him Lefty. He oh, runs. Oh, I know him. Yeah, I know. Ignorance. I've heard the name. I see the name all over the place, but I don't really. He, exactly he, know goes, who he, he goes around. He goes around the police stations, and he's a medical marijuana patient. And he walks in and he knocks on the door and he tells them, "Hey, I'm I'm going to go to the city council meeting tonight, but I want to know where I can smoke my marijuana." And some of the police are just shocked. You know, they're like, "Uh, I have no idea." Sometimes it takes them an hour or so to just give an answer. Sometimes they don't could give them an answer. You know, but he's going in on trying to educate the police on medical marijuana laws. So he was in court one day. He asked me to come support him. I came. We were sitting there, and I showed him an open request that I got from Camden County um, for, I forget exactly what I'd requested, but he said to me, he's like, oh, you have to see this new tool. It's the coolest thing. And uh, and he said, it's, it's this open machine tool. And I'm like, what? Like, you know, oh, my God. And um, what happened is, is I've been going through some real crazy Issues trying to save this house in Camden that's the former home of Martin Luther King. And the city of Camden, the state of New Jersey, and, uh, and then Stockton University, where you're at, have been just completely lying to me and lying to the homeowner. And, you know, they got a quarter million dollars in grants they never told the homeowner about. They said they couldn't move forward in the project but they still went ahead and got a quarter million in grants. So, well, how does Stockton fit into a home in Camden? So what happened is I filed for historic registry of this home in 2015. Um, the home was where Dr. King lived during his first civil rights incident, which took place in Maple Shade, New Jersey, his first which is, which is where I am, which was really exciting and shocking to read that. Yeah. So his, his first sit-in took it place in Maple Shade, not in, 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 in Alabama, not in the South, in South Jersey. And I wanted to find out what's going on. I wanted to get the bot to the bottom of it. Stockton University was hired by the New, New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection to do a study into the research that I did for them for free, which was, you know, voluminous of, of documents that showed not only he lived there, but he, he had his plan to go to this restaurant in Maple Shade and, and form his first act of civil disobedience and antagonize a, 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 a known bigot to racially discriminate against him so he could take him to court. And so what happened was Stockton was hired to do this research project, and instead of doing a real research project, they did a hit job, it's like a historical hit job, to debunk my work. And wow. they found you specifically, or the concept. Like they knew about you. Oh, it's 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 specifically. I mean, my name is all. I mean, through the entire report that Patrick Duff, you know, the way I interviewed the, the witnesses could have led the witnesses to believe there was financial gain for them. That wow. um, that the uh, incident in Maple Shade, which is his first sit-in, which he said himself was a very painful experience because we decided to sit in his words which they said that the reporter, the newspaper reporter, could have got the quote wrong. They say that the incident in Maple Shade was not historically significant. This is five professors from Stockton, and actually four professors, and the head of the South Jersey Research Center. Now, this is where Oprah Machine gets really good. Can you, before you go on, I just like, when did you, when, is, when are we talking about here? Like, did you discover it as soon as it was started, or are we talking just a few months ago? 
Well, this, the, the, the research project was, was actually submitted right at the beginning of December of 2017. Okay, so very around, Very, very, very recent in, in that, yeah. So when that, was, when that was submitted and I read it, I went berserk. You know, I wanted to find out. I wanted to find out a lot of information. I wanted to find out pay, who gets paid, how much they get paid, when they got hired. I wanted their contracts. I wanted, wow. um, I wanted to know what color people were. And on all the offices, I um, so imagine this. So I thought, I said to myself, well, there's no way these people at the DEP have anybody in a position of power that have African-American blood. There's just no way. Because they would smack them years ago and said, what are you talking about? Why do you even have to do this research project? This is extremely significant. You know, are you stupid? You know, um, so my open request was to find out who worked there and how many were African-Americans. And how much they got paid at DEP yeah. or at Stockton? At 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 the oh that comes next at the Historic Preservation Office oh. at New Jersey DEP, okay. which is the there's a branch called the Historic Preservation Office. Okay. Well, out of 27 employees, they have one black employee. She's a secretary. She's the lowest paid employee by over over twenty five thousand dollars per year, mm. and she's not in a position of power in any way. Wow. So. I went a step further. I wanted to find out how many African-Americans employees ever worked there. It was the year 2000 until 2018, and they hit me with three, including her. The two others worked there for less than a year and a half, and they were both, from the, the research I've done, they were both interns. <laughs> wow. Holy cow. So, and you can go, go to the open request. You can see it. I, I, it's spelled out. Send, send me the link. I'll, I'll link yeah. it in the description. Yeah, so... Um, it's, uh, so, so what I did is I then went a step further and I wanted to find out who's worked there since 1976, all the way back to 1976. And guess what? It's still only those three employees. I'm surprised that they actually keep racial information and that's considered public information. Well, is it or isn't it? Because guess who denied me the racial information of their professors at Stockton University? So they denied the request based upon the races, but 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 had to provide me with the names and salaries of all the employees. So just so you know, you have something called a South Jersey History and Cultural Center there in Stockton. There is an assistant to Tom Kinsella who runs it, named Paul Shop. So Paul Shop, in 2015, I sent him an email, and uh, in his email he said to me that he knew how important that incident was in this shape. And he tried to save the building. It used to be called Mary's Cafe, Morristown Pub. Remember Morristown Pub? That's where Dr. King's incident, the incident happened. Um, in Maple Shade. But Morristown happened. Morristown is right next to Maple Shade. Yes, Morristown is so right next actually, to Maple Actually, I have a feeling that it was very close to the border. Yeah, well, the that, well, if you, if, 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 directly across the street from where that pub used to sit is the sign that says, Nice Town, Friendly People. Welcome to Maple Shade. So mm. that's the border. So the first. Literally, the first address in Maple Shade is that bar. Hmm. Okay, so um, the up ramp to seventy three, I would bet, on Main yes, Street. Yes, up ramp on Maple on Main Street. So, so that being said, I went a step further, and like I said, I went and I filed for the salaries of all these people. And this guy, Paul Shop, this is this is the most incredible part of this whole thing. Oh, I filed for all the emails too. I wanted all the emails between DDP and Stockton. I got hundreds and hundreds of emails. Wow, this um, is exciting. Yeah, 
Wow. So I found out. Yeah, I've seen I've I've seen Patrick's requests come in come in as they as they gone through our system, but I haven't looked at them in detail, and I'm just amazed at all of, of the detail of this. But please go on. Oh, so 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 I I, I file for um the um you know the salaries right. So the, and then really the guy I wanted to concentrate on is Paul Schott because in 2015 this guy said he tried to stand in front of bulldozers to save this building because he knew how important this this event was. And in 2017, he's a lead researcher on a report that says the incident's not important. So I'm, I'm dumbfounded. I'm like, who is this guy? Why is he changing his opinion? By the way, he also sits on the Camden County Historical Commission that votes on the properties to be on the historical list in the... Man, oh, man, you are filled with exciting articles. I, I yes. hope that... And you've probably already written some stuff, like with posts and whatever. Listen, this is, this is you all You and I, stuff- are, after, after this is over... <laughs> Yeah. After this is over, you and I got to talk because oh, I'm have, telling you, this is this is going to blow you away. I'm telling you, ready? You have, so, so you have the potential for multiple exciting articles, and all it takes is just putting the requests in screenshot form and doc download form. And sure. We're gonna. I really am excited to talk to you about that. All right, so go so, on. So, so Mr. Shop in 2014, his contract was signed. He was getting paid forty six thousand four hundred and sixty five dollars a year. 2015, $46,465 a year, 16, same. 2017 comes. His contract is also for $46,465 a year, except on September 22nd, or August 22nd, which, by the way, is the day after the preliminary study was turned into the DEP, the day after he received a pay raise to $63,000 and two hundred and something dollars. The day after what? The day after the study, the historical hit job on my work was turned in to the Department of Environmental Protection, he received a almost fifty percent pay increase in the middle wow. of the contract year. Wow, I have the, the contract. day after. The day after it was turned in. I have the wow. emails to prove that they turned them in on August twenty first. And on August twenty second, in the middle of the contract year, a public employee receives almost a 50% increase in pay with no extended education, didn't go get his master's degree, didn't receive a different job, no different uh, requirements. I mean, how, yeah. you know what, how, how brazen do you have to be to cut it so close? Like, why don't they say, you know, four months afterwards not, or something like they're that? They're not expecting it. They don't expect somebody like me. They don't expect they don't expect a tool like the open machine. They don't, they, right now, you're, 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 we're in a different world for these folks because they've been living for so long and so comfortable in the shadows, and it's time to expose them. You know, for I mean, wow. it's, it's 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 so sad. It really is that uh, that we have to do it, but but we have to do it. Did you uh, did you meet did you know Gavin before Open Machine? Mm-mm. So I presume that you met I've never Gavin. Met you, I presume that you met Gavin through support of Oprah Machine. Yeah, I just been filing requests, and I see his posts, and I and anytime I have a problem, I'll, I'll text him, and he he hits me back within minutes, and you know we we get it figured out. Like sometimes there was problems with getting email addresses, and we figured out what it was. Um, but I can tell you that uh, that without it, I wouldn't have got this much information this quickly, and had the Ability to just go back and access it so fast. 
you know, because I, I can just go into these requests and pull it up and say, hey, check it out. Yeah, there that, it is. That's really, well, that's really magical to have a, to, to basically, basically that every Oprah request only needs to be done once, which is remarkable. Absolutely. Which I'm sure upsets some people. But, uh, but how beyond that, you said that Oprah Machine made it possible. How is it different than just regular requests? that you could email or do on online? What, what is special that, that, to you about it? Oh, I'll tell them. I, t- I tell the, the clerks that you realize this is a third-party public entity that's printing these now. So, you know, you, you, you're, you're responsible, not just like a private email anymore. I mean, the public's going to see this. You know, I call clerks, by the way, every time when they try to deny me or try to mess with me. And, and you know, um, here's an example, Camden. So I make a request for Camden's minutes. This is this is gonna this is gonna blow you away. This this is the case, correct? This, this is, is the a, case. Okay, so hold on, because that's that's the big thing that we're gonna that we're gonna. Oh, by, by the way, there's two cases. So I've got a GRC complaint with Stockton right now for redacting entire emails, just the entire emails just redacted way before the research project started. Um, but they redacted the entire emails, so I got a GRC complaint with them too. So there's two cases. Okay, so you, so what's special to Open Machine for you is the fact that it makes the things public. It makes it public, and also the the, the ability to access it um, so quickly for me. Because like in my email, you know, you gotta you gotta search that one thing out. You gotta, you know, you gotta go to that municipality. It, it's just about time. You know, I'm I'm a I'm a lightning fast researcher. Like I can find things faster than most people could ever even think. You know, and um. So having this tool gives me that ability where I don't have to sit there and look at their their rules, their regulations, how they wanted the form they have, print the form, fill it's it standard, out. It's it. standardized. That's what you're saying. It's standardized. Yeah. So it's standardized. Every every agent, almost every agency in the entire state, all you have to do is write the request itself. Everything else is is almost just a few clicks of the button, and then you can find yeah. the agency that you want. And I and I have what I think a 50 plus requests already. The the key for me in, in being able to do this and expose this information is that it has literally shut down the other side. You know, um, Stockton, the Stockton professors won't even talk to the media. They talk to the PR guy. Imagine, imagine you write, you write a report, right? Your name is on it. You go into college, you've done these studies, and you won't even stand behind the report that you wrote. Um, the reason why they won't is because I've embarrassed them publicly through this open machine. Wow. It's just, it's, it's, it's hysterical in a sense, you know, that, that, you know, professors aren't willing to stand behind their work, but that's what's happened. And, and so, you know, it's Professor Michelle McDonald, a guy named John O'Hare, Tom Kinsella, and a guy named Paul Shop from, uh, Stockton. And I want to publicly, again, I've done this on Twitter, I've done it everywhere. I want to challenge them to a debate on the, the subject. Come on, meet, meet me. I'll come down to Stockton. I don't need one piece of paper. You can have all the books when you want. And, and, I, and just give me a podium and let's go. And, uh, and I guarantee you by the end, um, which, which will be quick, uh, there's going to be no question about the significance of Dr. King's first civil rights incident. How is there even a question about it anyway? Right, I mean, and that's like saying like the the the, the uh, uh, grass. There's no significance from the sun to the grass. You know, it's, that was the beginning of his civil rights career. Wow, 
Gavin, Gavin, is any of this new to you? Like this, like uh, these these subtleties that he's saying are are not what I had thought of before. Like the things that Patrick is saying that Oprah Machine is valuable for are surprising me. There's there's sort of more subtleties than I expected, and I'm wondering, is this surprising? And are there other kinds of things that benefits that Oprah Machine has given people that we hadn't that you hadn't expected when you created it? Yeah, so, certainly. I would say it's both surprising and not surprising at the same time because when I when you know when I first set this technology loose in the state of New Jersey, you know, I, I envisioned this as a massive experiment in, in government transparency and, and also accountability, which naturally follows that. And I think the things that, that Patrick has been has been doing with this, I mean, I wasn't even really aware of some of the historical significance um, of Martin Luther King's connection to, to New Jersey. And obviously, Patrick's been very passionate about that. And through his requests, you know, I've certainly been more educated about it myself. I, I've learned to appreciate, uh, you know, some of these issues. But also, I think, I think also, you know, if we go back to a quote from former U.S. Supreme Court Justice Louis Brandeis, and he said, sunlight is the, the best disinfectant. And, mm. you know, I think just by having all of this information out in the open, these, these government officials, they become aware that the public is watching, the public is interested in, in these things, and I think it makes it harder and harder for a small group of people to make these decisions in secret. So I'm, I'm very happy Absolutely. to you know that the, the impact that these things are having, and I think this is a situation, you know, as, as we process more requests through our system, you know, in the next few months, I think this is going to be something that we see more and more of, because... In a way, it kind of shifts the balance of power because all of this back and forth used to be done, you know, private emails that nobody's ever going to see. Now with all this public, we've got, you know, almost like the benefit of the open source software that runs our platform. When everything is out in the open, we have more eyes looking over all of this information, and maybe they'll see something that I miss or somebody else misses, and they can build off of our work and, and take that further. Yeah, and one 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 last thing is I want people to realize that that just because let's say you have a request denied or you get information doesn't mean you got all the information. So look through the information. The perfect example is this request for this gentleman Paul Shop's employment records. I, I requested all his employment records, and they sent me uh, like one or no two contracts, his first and his last. Yeah, it's, and yeah, I've experienced and, that as well. It's torture when you ask for so, something big and they'll just go but it was little, little little little. But it wasn't big at all. It wasn't big at all because they sent well, significant, they resent significant. it to me. They, when they resent it to me, it was. I mean, you're talking about uh, let's see, 27 pages, and that's including their you know declaration or whatever. Um, but but here's your, his his final year, Paul Shop. Here we go. In 20, February 22nd of 2018, he got a raise of $69,817 for the same exact job. So this guy went from 46,000. In less than a couple of months after the studies turned into 46,000 to 69,000 on a, in a, in a public job for the same thing. So something's wrong, you know, and, and, um, and it's really funny that, that we have this ability to show people now and I can put a link and just put it into an email and. Yeah. You know what? The links, the links, being able to link to a request and link to a document within a request, that's, that's magical. That's oh. really, because then, it, then now all of a sudden your articles can can be all of a sudden so much more substantial than they could ever be. You don't have to worry about putting documents on Dropbox anymore. Just link to Oprah Machine, and they can see the whole not just the document, mm-hmm. but the whole context. 
of how it came to be. It's really, that, that for me is, is an exciting thing. And, you know, and in court- if I could just add, if, if I could just add to that, the other thing that I want to speak to on that point is all of these documents we haven't configured with the, the full searchable text of these documents for the documents that are searchable. They're all being put out there and they're being picked up and indexed by search engines like Google and Bing. So mm-hmm. theoretically, wow. somebody could just be randomly researching some of these topics or some of these individuals that are named in the request for documents. And that's actually how we're getting a large percentage of our traffic on Open Machine from people just randomly Googling things. And, you know, the, I, I've seen the trend has been, you know, on my other sites like Ocean County Politics, we might have someone come in, they'll read an article or two, and then they're gone. Overwhelmingly, the trend I've seen is we tend to have, you know, we, we have less visitors overall compared to an article, but the people that are logging on are spending a significant amount of time. You know, I've had people half an hour, an hour, even two hours, three hours in some cases, just researching a lot of this stuff in detail. So it really, it really is turning into a almost a, a, a distributed research tool, and it's, it's getting better every day the more people file these requests. That's interesting because I didn't think of it that way, but clearly you, whatever happens, the PDFs are translated into text or HTML form. So you can see the text of the PDF if you have problems looking at the PDF. And I had problems. A PDF was corrupted, whether I don't know if it was my device or if it was the document itself, but the HTML translation of it, the text translation of the PDF worked fine, so I could see it online, so it wasn't a problem. But I didn't realize until you just said now that that also gives the ability of search engines to automatically index all of these, all of this information. Um, so, Patrick, were you done that this particular story? Yeah, yeah, um, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, really, the last thing is, is one of the other things I found out, and which is just interesting, is that you know, I don't know if, if people realize me, that um, the uh, Stockton University has an entire Africana history department that has, uh, I think, four or five people with PhDs in African American history. Well, none of those people worked on this project, by the way. The lead researcher for the project, what I found out through this open request, also was his curriculum vitae is he has an Associate's of Arts and History from Golden County College. That's it. For what he, subject again? In, in history. But, but it's an Associate of Arts from Golden County College. When you have PhDs available in African-American history, and somehow oh. he was picked to be the lead researcher of this project. And this is, so, the smear, this is the smear thing again? This is the smear. Yeah, this is the smear thing. Oh. So he's the guy that got the 50% raise directly after it was turned in. So... Um, how much does it cost to change your opinion? How about 50% of your salary? <laughs> so, wow. but, um, but I, I would like to get into the, to the, to the Camden one because that's, that's the real humdinger. Um, okay. So, so let's get into, um, let's get into your case. So just go for it. So I, um, on, let's see, I'm, I'll pull up the other request. It looks like on December 6th, I made the original open request and opened for the planning meeting, meeting minutes. Which was there? There was four departments that met um, two times. They met once on four three of 2017 and once on five four 2017. Now these meetings, by the way, were publicly advertised in the newspapers. But the four three meeting, which was would supposed to be advertised at least 48 hours before, was actually um, um, posted on four five. It was posted two days after in the Courier Post. So. 
how you'd have an opportunity to go to the meeting would be impossible anyway because they didn't even let people know about it until two days, two days after it actually happened. <laughs> so that's the first faux pas by them. So I, I wanted to find out what happened at these meetings because one of these things that happened was that quarter-million-dollar grant that was sought on behalf of the MLK house was given out at that meeting and it was discussed at that meeting. And actually $3.8 million were discussed at these meetings, at both of the meetings. So I requested the minutes. I wanted the minutes and the agendas to these meetings. And they claimed, at first they claimed that the meetings never happened, that they never took place. They have no record of any meetings. Then they claimed that, well, they did take place, but it was a different department. I have to contact that department, even though in the newspaper article specifically says planning department. So um, then they made the claim that, well, there were meetings. But since there were no public, there was no public attendees, that they then therefore didn't have to take minutes because no questions were asked, which doesn't make any sense. That's not which the way the minutes. Thing. Yeah, which yeah. minutes are so, not for recording public public comments only. Yeah, so not I mean, only. only. Yeah, so 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 I um so when they they gave me that response, it was just I was I was it was a, a slap in the face. So I, I sent them back the rules of meetings and said you have to have minutes to these meetings. And uh, they then, uh, again, respond they don't have them. Um, so, so you have two meetings that took place in the city of Camden that were responsible for giving away $3.8 million. A quarter million dollars of that was, was being basically fraudulently sought by Cooper Ferry Partnership, who's the company that had agreed, quote-unquote, agreed to help um, when I say agreed to help, I should say agreed to help themselves to a quarter million dollars. Um, that was the meeting that that money was given away. So whatever those minutes said was very important to what that corporation said, who had said that they couldn't move forward to me and the homeowner, but were at city meetings getting a quarter million dollars. And so, so the, the minutes to those meetings are very important to find out what actually happened. But they say that, that there literally is none. In the and if you're going to get to this, just tell me and then I'll wait. But in, yeah. in the in the in the response to your complaint, they really make you out to look like a fool. They they say that you 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 know again he asked again he asked this fifteenth time and we responded to him. He's just badgering. You no, know, he they really made you. They're really trying to make you yes. out to look like a fool. And you know when I first read that, I was like, how could you counter that? And you know. I think the answer is is that they they said they responded to you basically. They said they already gave you the response, so there's no remedy. But what does that what does that mean if they didn't have minutes? What are they what do they mean by that? Yeah, and and, and here's the thing is there's other there's other cases where you know uh, councils were forced to produce minutes um, when they didn't have them. Um, so it's not like there there's case. But if you read their brief, you don't see any case law. Right. I don't know if you noticed that they they kind of leave out case law because they don't have any. They don't have any cases that say we don't need to have minutes for meetings that give away millions of dollars. That they admit were at least between two two different departments. So when they say that they gave you a response, the non-response was what they're calling a response. Which is interesting because because if, well, the way that, that the um, in Open Public Meetings Act you know, requires them to do something, if you, you, you request something and they deny that request, 
illegally, which that's basically what they did, then it's just like having an illegal contract. You can't enforce an illegal contract. And I can re-request because they're stating that they don't have something that they legally should have. You know, that, that to me, they're the, the chain and the fact that they had to go through all those that time just to find out that, yeah, there were meetings. Yes, they did take place. Yes, they were between departments, you know, but it had to come out in little spurts of information um, shows that they're hiding something. And what's going to happen? I assume that you feel pretty confident. Oh, I, I mean, listen, no, I, I, and I'll tell you why I don't. Because, you know, Camden politics are, for for decades, have been controlled by, I mean, like, basically a political machine. And, and that includes a lot of the courts. So we'll find out how savvy, you know, this judge could be to, to figure out a ruling to say that they don't need minutes. But you, you never know what's going to happen when you enter a courtroom when the opposing party is, is, a, is a corrupt government organization. I mean, that's just the facts. Um, so, you know, um, the, the, by the way, uh, the mayor uh, sits on the board of that organization. The former mayor sat on the board of the organization that got that quarter million dollars. Wow. So, yeah, so it's a, it's a, there's a lot, a lot of moving parts here, you know, um, but they... But they themselves, okay, so if you have a meeting, it's an advertised meeting between multiple departments. They give away money. It's discussed money being given away. What more do you need to know that that's a public meeting and you require minutes? Okay. So you, so you complained, they responded, you're going to court in a week or so, right? Yeah, on May 4th. But, um, and their, their argument is that by me sending, you know, uh, Multiple requests, um, on the same request actually, it was just email, co- you know, communications back and forth. Follow up somehow, on, on the, it's a single request, but there was a lot of yeah. follow ups. That that somehow, that that somehow negates their, their responsibility to provide what they legally are obligated to have. Uh, that makes absolutely no sense. And this but is this, all an open, this is all documented on an open machine, I would say. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, well, there you go. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so, so here I'll give you an example. So, so when the, the, the first the first response they made to me was on December twelfth, and they said, according to our planning department, we do not have any planning board meeting minutes for the dates provided. Okay, there we go. So I, I said, hey, here, let me show you. The, 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 there's actually, you know, here's when the dates were. You know, I said basically, good afternoon. In regards to your twelve thirteen submitted a request, uh, find the attached correspondence. Our our the Department of Finance has advised us. They do not have a record of the reference meeting held on 4-3 of 2017. So first they said there was one. Now they say they don't have one, right? So I send them a clipping of the newspaper article that shows there was one. They send me back request received. That's it. So I said, does this request receive, meaning you're going to be supplying me with the information? You know, was there a Bureau of Grants Management meeting on 4-3 of 2017? They said a request received is the confirmation that the city has received your request. You will uh, need to you will need to address the Department of Finance at the telephone number, and they give me a telephone number to call instead of answering the request. Hmm. So that's not what Oprah does. Oprah doesn't say, "Here, here's the phone number. You can find out the information." Right. So yeah. here's what here's what they say in the next one, which is this is this is where it gets good. In regards to your December 26th and, uh, and below submitted open request, our Department of Planning and Development has advised, quote, there was a meeting, but 
there were no attendees and thus no minutes. This concludes the city's response to your open request for this information. Now, if they, by them saying this concludes it, by them not giving that information, that didn't conclude it. So I went back and said, no, you know, you, you first you said there was a meeting. Now you said there wasn't one. Now you said there's no attendees, so you don't have minutes. Yeah, that's know, insane. So, so if the public doesn't show up to a meeting, they don't have to document the meeting at all? That's, that's pretty crazy. That's ludicrous. Well, well, that's what they said. That, that's their actual argument. Um, so what they had to do, and it's funny because when I spoke to my lawyer about it, the lawyer said when he spoke to them on the phone, um, the lady's like, you know, this guy's a crazy person and, you know, you just don't, you don't know your client, you know. Um, when they're the ones that are denying the request, they're the ones that, that don't have the minutes. They're the ones that have lied. Um, you, you clearly have hit on something. I mean, that's what we're getting yeah. down to. You, you hit on something that they don't want to reveal or, or, you know, they, Whatever it is with this house, I guess they want to knock it down and make something that they can make more money at instead of preserve it. I guess that's what it boils down to. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a uh, just a, so right next to where the house is is Bourbon Square. Uh, on one side is the waterfront. On the other side is the new Subaru plant. So uh, what's that, on the other side? The new Subaru plant is on the other oh, side. So, okay. so that Bourbon Square literally is 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 set for a big redevelopment project. Okay, so, what, so we're yeah. So this is clear. They want to knock down an important place because they can make money at it, and they have to either drag their feet so that exactly. you, they either tire you out or they accidentally make it happen or whatever. So you clearly have struck a chord, but now it's just a matter of is this judge going to be? Well, know, it, it's more than that because actually the, the cool thing is I got the uh, a letter from the NAACP last week sent to the governor and the DEP telling them to basically uh, wipe their butt with that study from Stockton and put it in the trash. Wow, uh, that, nice. That they are offended at the very formation of the study and that there's hard evidence of all of the things that I've suggested and that um, they strongly urge them to place this property on the historic registry. So generally a letter from the NAACP to a governmental organization is not the nicest thing that you can get if it's, if it's adversarial. Wow, you know, that's wonderful. So, yeah. So, I mean, you know what happens is these, ah, man, there's so many bullies in this world, man. There really is. And, and they live in so many different areas. Um, can I just tell you guys a quick story you, you'll get a kick out of, an example? Um, Rosa, there's a house called, Rosa Parks lived in a house in Detroit when she first lived in Detroit, right? Um, her family owned the house. This artist gets together with one of the family members. They're going to they're gonna demolish this house. The, her, her niece is like, you can't do that. There's my Annie Rosa lived here. She tries to get people to help her. They won't help her. This guy comes from Berlin, Germany. There's always been Ryan Mendoza. Disassembles the entire house and reassembles it in Berlin, Germany. It becomes a massive art project. George Foreman, Oprah Winfrey, all these people are coming over to see this house in Berlin. Whereas in Detroit, they were about to demolish it. Uh-huh. Right? So Ryan Mendoza makes an agreement with Brown University to bring the house to um, Brown to do an exhibit to make the agreement in, like, October. I know this is not important, but I'm curious. How big is this house? The house is it's, it's like a, it's like a uh, two-story house. It's three bedrooms. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a quaint little house. Um, but literally, it's a house, dude. It's a real house. <laughs> like, they're assembling and disassembling a house. <laughs> That's great. Okay, so, so check this out. So they make an agreement with Brown to bring this 
house, and they're going to exhibit it during a civil rights expo for Brown. Now, Brown had a, um, has a history of, of their, 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 their original seed money for Brown came from slavery. It came from slaveholders. And um, so it's been a thing at Brown. So the artists originally chose them because they were trying to, you know, uh, overcome that legacy and work with that legacy. On March 8th, Right. So this is, they're building the house. It's in this, this place. It's been shipped from Germany. There's, you know, people building a house in the middle of the thing. On March 8th, he releases a statement saying that he thinks that Brown University should change their name to Rosa Parks University um, because of their ties to slavery. Hmm. Five hours after this, this thing comes out, they cancel the project. They completely cancel the project. Tell them to pack the house up and leave. Oh. Now, they say this because there's this, an institute called the Rosa and Raymond Parks Institute that's out in Detroit that claim that she never lived at the house, right? This institute has none of her family members that, that belong to it. It was her caretaker from when she was, you know, older that says she never lived in this house. But since they own her Rosa Parks name, Brown University backs out. There's a dispute over whether she lived there. We can't display the house. So I jump into research mode. I, um, they say she lived at this 9336 Wildermere Street house. That's what the Institute says, this, this Institute. So I researched the Institute to find out, number one, Rosa Parks um, was supposed to have you know, a home built for her by this, this um, committee. From 1976, they started this committee to raise all this money to build her home. Right? Rosa Parks never had a home built for her. The Institute has collected millions of dollars since 1986, the formation of the Institute. Rosa lived in the freaking ghetto. Okay? They didn't pay her rent. She worked. They stole all her money. Um, so I got really heated about this Institute when I started figuring out they're scam artists. Actually, that actually reminds me that there was some, I heard some story recently of some benevolent millionaire or something paying her rent for years or something like that? Yes, yes. It was the Mike, yes, the, the owner of Papa John's Pieces. So imagine a, a Little Caesars. Imagine this. He's paying her rent while this institute, and I have the tax returns to show it, is collecting hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. So I'm furious. I'm like, you know what? I could tell they're frauds. I could see something's wrong here. So I jump into archived newspapers, and I just, just start ripping through them. And... Um, and I created a perfect timeline to show where she lived, when she lived, the addresses she lived. And guess where she didn't live was the Wilderness Street until 1986. And they claimed she lived there in 1957. Mm. So I built this beautiful timeline. I called the Detroit Free Press. I released the timeline to them. And then I called the dean of Brown University. And I said, listen, you guys are canceling a project on an obvious misrepresentation. You're in breach of contract. You can't do that. And um, sent them emails, sent all the professors emails, said, hey, here's the, the timeline, here's what happened. You guys are a research university, you may have missed this. Um, and uh, Brown University, uh, the Rosa Parks Institute, by the way, refuses to comment now to any media that calls. And the, the lawyer that said that, that the house is just as much Rosa Parks' house as his house um, refuses to comment to the media because I, because I absolutely demolished them and I demolished Brown. The project is being completely paid for now by Brown. They have to pay for it. They're backing out, right? They're backing out but paying for it. So they're not backing out. Um, so I just wanted to show people how, like, you know, you can overcome these big 
universities, these, 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 um, you know, these things that people don't think you can. And, and a big part of how I do that right now is with that open machine. I didn't do it for that project. Of course, it's a different state, but the same but concept. Yeah, same concept. Just, 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 just being able to get the information and then delivering that information to those bodies and saying, hey, here it is, you know. Um, you know, just like I said to the uh, stock, and I said, listen, you know, um, the DEP gave me the racial information of their employees. Why won't you? That's so amazing. Yes, yeah, so, and, and I linked them to the OPA request that showed it. So that gives the, the ability to show, hey, here it is. This happened at this township. They've done it. I think it's going to be easier for us to be able to um, use that information in the ways that these, these entities are scared to death of. You know, they don't want to be wrong. Yeah, they don't want to be wrong. And then Gavin has done, Gavin, you've done a lot of challenges with Oprah on your own, and I know you've also used CJ Griffin as well. You, Pete, uh, Pete is using a uh, a lawyer, or have you done Patrick? I said Pete. Oh, I'm I'm using I'm using Donald Doherty. So have Donald you, Doherty. Have you have you always used lawyers within this situation, or have you no? What he pro no, I, Yeah, I've, I've done a lot of pro se. Um, pro se is like so much fun. I mean, if you've never done it, and oh, I um, agree, I love it. Uh, it's 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 like it's like the biggest thrill. I I've sued um, I've sued attorneys for legal malpractice and made it all the way to trial. Right before the trial, the judge tossed the jury and went to a, a judge. I impeached him with every witness, and the judge somehow ruled with the lawyer. Um, what, but, pro, se, pro se is fun, but, but what about nervousness of not, you know, covering your bases or doing it properly or that kind of thing? You, you read. You have to, you know, you know, all the laws are there, accessible now online. You know, it used to be where you had to go to a law library to access all this stuff. And, and that's why lawyers had that. That notch above you because they can go access it. They won't even let a normal person into a lot of law library, law, law, library you know. So now I have a law library. Uh, Law.cornell has every single law that you want. Um, so so read the statutes, read the laws, read everything about them. You know, um, cross-reference cases. It's it's that's all they do. That's all a lawyer does. Um, lawyers don't know an area of a law until they get involved in it. Let's be honest. So they go to law school, they forget most of what they have, and then they usually get involved in one area of the law and stick with that. And if something else comes down the road, they literally have to learn that again. So, you know, I'm of the belief that I can learn it too, you know, and I can learn it just as good. And I've had lawyers screw up my cases worse than I've ever screwed up any of my cases by far. Um, I had an attorney, imagine this, so I was uh, facing, and this is, this is real, I own dispensaries in L.A., they came after me some stuff for stuff that absolutely was untrue. I wanted to take it to trial. So I hired this attorney. He's a big hotshot attorney. I flew out from Delaware. I was living in Delaware. I had left L.A. and flew out to Delaware. I'm facing five years, by the way. I want to take it to trial. I know I didn't do it. I get out there. He stands up. He says to, the, to me, he says, listen, you need to take this plea deal. They're making you a great plea deal. Like, excuse me, dude? I just flew from Delaware to get here. You know, I, I hired you fight. I want to go to trial. Oh, I'm not ready for trial. <laughs> you know, so you know, was that protecting my interests? 
You know, it wasn't. So I had to fly back out. Imagine just I fly back out. He tries the same thing, still not ready for trial. I fired him in open court and, um, um, and tried to defend myself, but the, the judge got me a great lawyer and I beat the whole thing. And, huh. um, yeah, so, and, and with a, with a jury, facing five years with a two year old at home, you know, but I knew I didn't do it. And, um, and, and you know, here's the interesting thing is that lawyer, that same lawyer, um, wound up suing John Travolta, uh, mm-hmm. for all those male masseuses. And his name was a really interesting name. You could look this up. This is kind of, this is probably one of the more funny things I've done in my life. And this is also a pro se case I did too. Is, uh, is I, I bought his name, which is Okori Okorocha. I bought OkoriOkorocha.com and I put the whole story of how he screwed me on the <laughs> website. Wow. He was the number two Google search name that week in the mm-hmm. world. Ah. So the site's getting thousands of hits. People are seeing the story. This guy's getting burnt in the media. It goes, it gets printed in the media. L.A. Times prints it, you know, you know, and uh, then he sues me for cyber squatting. And, uh, you know, I defended the, the suit myself and I, and I annihilated him. Wow, that's great. So, Is he yeah. still there? Now, now, Patrick, if I could ask for cyber squatting, was it a lawsuit or was it a UDRP complaint? It was a, you know what, because it was in California, I'm trying to think, but it was a fe- it was federal. Um, I'd have to look it up, but I think it was, I think it was a, I think it was a law, a lawsuit. I do. And when you say UDRP, what does that stand for? UDRP, it's, it's something called Uniform Dispute Resolution Policy. And basically what it is, it's kind of like mandatory arbitration. And it's in the, no, he didn't do that. Anytime, anytime you register a domain. And it's basically an alternative to a lawsuit. And that's typically 90% of cyber squatting cases are handled that way. I'm not sure if it was handled that way, but I can tell you that um, that what, what was interesting because what it came down to basically was that I wasn't, you know, if if I had emailed him and said, "Hey, I'll give you the, the site for ten grand," you know, then I would have been committing an illegal act. But I was strictly in it to get the story out there. It was first; it was a First Amendment story. Did he and, try and right. did he try and buy it from you, or try and tell you to take it down or whatever? Oh, you have no idea. Yeah, it was unbelievable. I mean, I mean, the guy, you know. I mean, when, when, when it first went up, I mean, he was begging, he called me, what, what are you doing? You know, please, you know, I didn't do, I didn't, didn't do anything really to you. I said, yeah, you did. You screwed me. And I said, this, this, I told you. And that's funny. So in that day in court, when I fired him, I said, Mr. Okorocha, I said, do you know what's going to happen? He says, what? I said, you're going to rue this day. <laughs> you will rue this day. And uh, when he called me, I said, remember what I told you in court? But what's that? I said, I said, are you ruining the day? Wouldn't say nothing. I said, yes. So you are. Is it website still up? No, he bought it. He bought it himself now. Oh, he's no, no longer an attorney. Yeah. He, he, yeah. Oh, yeah. I crushed him. He's, he's done. <laughs> yeah. He <laughs> lost. But, but, but he, I thought that buying it, buying it, it's like you said something to the effect that like if you tried to charge him $10,000, you could be charged with cyber squatting. So how did exactly. You Oh, oh, because I let it go. After, I mean, I was done with it. You know, after I uh, demolished him, he, well, he, he quit being a lawyer. And Did, uh, is it on the Internet Arc uh, way back machine? <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's out there. So, I mean, that's the I, thing is, I I just think that people have so much power now with with these tools. And yeah. well, um, I mean, that's the Joanne Reed with the Internet Wayback Machine. She's trying to throw a whole Internet Wayback Machine under the bus just to save her butt. Hmm. With the, you know what I'm talking about? With the. No. Um, she she wrote these terrible homophobic rants in her blog before she became prominent, 
And mm. some of them were found. Some of them were found, and she apologized for them. And then more recently, like in the last week, a lot more were found, and they were worse. And now instead <laughs> of saying I didn't – now instead of apologizing for them, she said, someone went into the Internet Wayback Machine and created these posts in my name mm. on my website. And it turns out that it's not just on the Internet Wayback Machine. It's on other archives, too. But she is suggest she is not suggesting. She is saying that they actually went into these archived websites and forged these articles onto her blogs and multiple copies because mm. there's multiple timestamps. So she's like lying out. So she's throwing the entire tool of the Internet Wayback Machine in an effort just to save herself. Mm. Um, so Gavin, can you address the pro se thing, and then we'll get back to yeah, whatever yeah, else so, is left so, of this case. So this is actually, I, I would say my experience with these, my two pro se cases, um, really, I would say it formed my interest in Oprah and probably put me on the path that led me to actually creating uh, Oprah Machine in the first place. And um, so, so yeah, my both of my pro se cases, I filed them in 2015. It took me until uh, the winter of 2017 to get judgment on them. I think the dysfunction of the GRC, I think that would be another detailed story we could get into for another day so we don't get too off topic. But my two GRC cases that I represented pro se, um, the first was against the Lacey Township Board of Education. And actually me and the school board member, um, you know, and I did some political work back then, so I actually I did some work for this candidate at the time, but we did back-to-back GRC complaints against this school board, and we got we both got declarations from the state that they violated the OPA law, and, and quite simply, uh, my case involved a special service fee. They tried to charge me 85 bucks to get copies of checks because our school board attorney at the time was a contracted professional that was hired as a contracted attorney, and uh, he was getting uh, health benefits through mm-hmm. the school district plan. And because that is so tightly guarded with Oprah, the only way I could get it, the details of how much he was getting, was to Oprah copies of the checks. They tried to charge me a fee. I did my GRC complaint. They did Mm. a big, long, lengthy answer. They probably spent thousands of bucks on on legal fees for their attorney. But I still prevailed, and two years later, I got my $85 back. (laughs) And then my... my, my, It was very satisfying. I I was very uh, happy. You said that there was someone... Um, Gavin, you said that there was someone else that was also doing something GRC with Lacey. Who was that? Yes, that was Regina DeSenza. Uh, she was on the school board. She she didn't decide to run for re-election, um, but she, I, I give her a lot of credit because she was instrumental in exposing the $19.8 million mismanaged solar panel project. And, and quite simply, what they did in this project is they basically gambled all of the uh, you know, they did a referendum in 2008, and they said in this referendum in a big, in big capital text, no tax increase to you. And uh, that ended up proving to be false because what they did with this solar project, they gambled on the financial feasibility of the project with the bonds by basically saying, we're going to get these SREC tax credits, which are, are renewable energy tax credits that the government gives um, in, in uh, response to these districts that have um, – solar panels on their roofs and all that good stuff. They started out um, at a pretty good amount of uh, money, and then because of the speculative nature of the way they set it up, the market on these tax credits ended up bottoming out, and we were forced to make up the difference. Now, this project was... Taxpayers. 
and investigated by the New Jersey State Comptroller's Office. There's a New Jersey State Comptroller's Alert entitled, Is Your School District Overpaying for uh, Architectural Services? Where they broke down where this project went wrong, and they concluded it was a lack of oversight from the incumbent board and the attorney. If they would have just reviewed it, they would have caught it, and they overbonded nearly $9 million. Mm. Once the ink is signed on those bonds, there's no going back. So this request that the board member did, she was getting blackballed by the incumbents on this school board, uh, You know, most of which are not there. There's only one board member that's still there from the... Uh, she was a candidate the at the time, the is that what you're saying? Uh, she was actually she, she was both a candidate and an elected official. She was elected in 2014, kind of in the aftermath of this project, trying to okay. uh, right the course of the ship a bit. And she couldn't get this these records as a board member, so she was forced to uh, yeah. file a GRC complaint pro se. <laughs> she prevailed on most of it, and some stuff they still withheld. But it was just another black eye against this school board. You know, I okay. Well, I first have a question. Who? So, who was at fault here? Was it the school board, or was it the administrator, or was it somebody else? So the person that was at fault was this gentleman, Jim Savage. He was the business administrator of business the administrator. Township School District, and okay. he served as the custodian of records. And uh, you know, I and the, and the, and the and the board of education has to open request to get their own records, right? Mm. Yeah, she she was a board yep. member. She tried to make an informal request just in her capacity as a board member because they really didn't want her on the board because this woman is very thorough. She crosses all of her T's. She dots all of her I's. And she every, every time there's been an issue in Lacey Township that's been of public concern, uh, Regina DeCenza has been at the forefront of it, and uh, she's persistent, and that's what they didn't like about her. And uh, they, they wouldn't give it to her in her board member capacity, she was forced to resort to Oprah, and then after, you know, nearly a two-year battle, uh, just like I went through, she, she was, I, I was docket number 2015-224, she was 223, our complaints were both decided, uh, you know, in a similar time frame, and uh, like I said, she eventually was uh, provided with some of the memos and documents, and I, I've written about some of this on Ocean County Politics, um, but it just goes to show you, you know, how, how unprofessional this custodian of records was because I was sending email requests and I would get responses via postal mail. They played all sorts of games. And I can say we do have a new business administrator now. I actually spoke with him the other day. The new business administrator, as evident from his responses on Oprah Machine, is far more professional. They've improved a lot. Um, and, and I give them credit. I think they, they, they should get credit. You know, the, the new business administrator is doing great. He hasn't tried any of these games with fees or any of this nonsense, so I'm optimistic that hopefully it will stay that way. And what happened at the time was we had two rival Republican slates of school board candidates in Lacey Township at this time, and there was an incident, this is all documented in press reports, where there was a, a drunken brawl at one of the Republican events where one of our township committee members ended up uh, punching another committee member in the face because he wouldn't endorse his brother-in-law who was running for uh, the school board at the time. And, you know, it just, it just shows you the dysfunction that is inherent in some of these local government entities. And I think it speaks to the importance of why we need Oprah, why we need local media, and we need local reporting at these critical uh, agencies because that's where all of the tax dollars are going. Yeah, actually, just two two quick asides. And then I want uh, Patrick to be able to, to finish his trial story. Is I 
I've been trying to monetize live streaming meetings. It, it has not really worked out as far as crowdfunding. Um, it has worked out that, that people are just know me now and they'll say I pay you 20 bucks an hour. So that's great. But <clears throat> I tried to crowd, I tried to live stream a board of education meeting in Morristown and I would ask questions in the name of people who were watching. Like some people were excited to be able to, to watch these meetings remotely. So they would give me statements or questions to say. And so I asked them. And then the, ne- the very next meeting, the, the, um, uh, the solicitor and the president of the board come up to me and say, you know, it's great what you're doing. We love what you're doing. You can't ask any more proxy questions. Can't ask questions for people that are watching remotely. Because, you, because, wow. because for security reasons. For security reasons. And, you know, of oh, course it's not... Of course, it's not security reasons. How easily could you verify, you know, to pick the random 5% and make sure, you know, it's nonsense. They just don't want to. Of all things, yeah. Yeah, how can we. Right, how can we verify who's saying these? Well, I mean, come on. Are you are you afraid of, of, of like, some Ukrainian is going to inject some sinister part? I mean, it's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. Um, So, anyway, so, Patrick. Finish up your I mean Gavin, I'm assuming that you were done with what you were saying. So Yeah, yeah, that wraps it up. Okay, so Patrick, let's let's wrap up your case and uh you know, go go for it. Yeah, so the, the uh, May fourth will will be in court. Um and, and as I said I had a GRC complaint too. It's funny because uh, Gavin had mentioned the amount of work they probably put into it. So the um the, the stack of papers that they sent me is is incredible. I mean uh, they okay. detailed the, the state of New Jersey office of the attorney general, the one who's handling the um, the complaint, the GRC complaint, uh, a guy named Samuel A. Rosado. So you're attorney. basically your your opponent is what you're saying? My opponent, yes. I'm pro okay. on this. Wait, wait Rosado, Rosado's your opponent? He used to work for the GRC as their staff attorney, from, from what I understood. <laughs> a little bit of conflict of interest here or what? <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh he, no no he is so he is it's, it says Samuel A. Rosado staff attorney department of community affairs. Okay yeah yeah so he's still with the GRC then because the, the yeah. GRC is within the department of community affairs yeah. Yeah so he is uh, he's their attorney and it's literally I mean hundreds of pages um, and and each one breaks down why each individual email was redacted and the reasons they were redacted. Um, <clears throat> so that's that's one thing that's happened there and it's funny because that. Uh, you know, I don't even need to make a response to it um, because I've seen the way the GRC seems to be ruling on a lot of these cases, and it doesn't seem to be in favor of the public. And um, so, so I'm going to go and just do uh, the oral arguments on that when, when, when they come up. But but I'm not going to pay as much attention to that as I am to the case in Camden because the case in Camden is is uh, you know in front of a judge, and um, and it's it's actually three three pronged. It's it's an open public meetings violation, an Oprah violation, and we're considering it a civil rights violation because it's my right as a citizen to know what happens um, inside the government bodies around me. And, um, you know, for them to withhold that information um, is, is a civil rights violation, and that's the, the you know, third prong of the claim. So it's really, if you want to know the truth, it's kind of a new, I think, a new way to, to, to argue this case, type of case. How do you um, distinguish between Oprah and civil rights? Because Oprah, the whole point of Oprah is, you know, knowing what's going on in your government. So how is that different than civil rights? Well, I think it it, it just differs in the sense because 
in this situation, um, this is not, I'm not asking just for government records. I'm asking for government records that really pertain to a project that I'm trying to, um, that I'm trying to put forth. And not only am I being denied um, these requests, I'm being given different answers. Um, so it's not like it's just a straight denial of an open request anymore. You know, it's, it's, it's now come to a point where I am going back and forth with an entity to tell them what the law is, and that shouldn't be. I shouldn't have to do that. Um, so, you know, Donald Doherty, who's the attorney, is the one that really threw the civil rights portion in. Um, you know, obviously there's an Oprah violation, and obviously there's an OPM, um, or open public meetings violation by not having minutes. You know, so uh, the, qu- the question's going to lie with, with the city as to why, why they don't have any minutes. And, um, and I don't think they can explain that. So, well, um, well, <laughs> we will see, though. We will see. Um, so that's, that's, that's where my case lies. And, and um, again, it was a, it, it's kind of a shocking, um, shocking, you know, turn of, of events that, you know, I, I literally, just so you know, um, this, this, uh, I got a phone call yesterday. It's from uh, what's called a CDC, it's a Community Development Corporation. And um, they've agreed to fix the house in Camden. They have contractors, um, and uh, they're all come together, and they don't want to seek grants. They want to put the, the work in pro bono and fix the house and restore it. So, you know, it, it's funny because, you know, you, you fight and you, you push and you pull, and you get all these people to agree to help. And then once you stop fighting, pushing, and pulling, somebody comes to the table to help. So. Wow. Just, uh, yeah, it's really it's really awesome. I'm super happy. Your, so, and your NAACP thing is is pretty exciting. Has anyone seen that? It, it's going to be. You know what's so funny is the uh, so the media has contacted the DEP who got a copy of the letter who's claimed they never received a copy of the letter. Um, oh. Here here is the response that Stockton gave. Right, I just you, you, I, you could obviously you could open it. Yes, exactly, exactly, and I'm going to. Um, but uh, let's see here. So, so Stockton, uh, this Lynn Washington, who's, who's an attorney, sent them, you know, some questions. Um, and this is what their response was. In response to your question, the report prepared by the DEP addressed only the specific question of Dr. King's residence in the House and not any other events uh, of Dr. King's activism. You know, any other questions should be referred to the DEP. So, you know, you, you have... I'm being stonewalled, uh, and it's not gonna it's not gonna work. It's not gonna work. I'm writing a book, by the way. It's all coming out in the book, and wow. uh, yeah, it's gonna be a really exciting book. It's funny because these can't wait these, to read it. Yeah, I'm yeah, really. you you you'll be in it. <laughs> the Oprah machine is in it, you know. <laughs> yeah, so oh, we'll be sure to and, it and, when it's out. And I was just in a. Uh, there's a book that was just released about Dr. King's times a seminary student um, by a guy named Patrick Parr, which actually called the seminarian. And my research is mentioned there um, and my name five times. So and this book is called, the, the, the historians say it's the most important book about Dr. King in the last 25 years. Wow. Um, I have one request about your book. I just want Martin Luther King and Oprah Machine to somehow be in the title. <laughs> uh, that would be a difficult one, but I, you know, I'm, I'm uh, I'm pretty good at putting things together, so. All right. Yes. The story of how Oprah Machine made Dr. Martin Luther King. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That's that's great. That's great. But I I really appreciate the time, man. This was awesome. 
Yeah, it, uh, thank you for both being patient, especially with the connection, and uh, we were on talking about a lot of different topics. Um, yeah, I, I really look forward to seeing what happens, and I really look forward to talking to you. You obviously have a lot that you've already said, and it would be really, really nice to, to maybe package it a little little better and, and, you know, get it get it out farther. That'd be really exciting. I appreciate anybody that wants to help wrap the package. Yeah. Oh, I, I would. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm totally whatever you need, whatever you need. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, Gavin and Patrick, thank you so Thanks, much Gavin. for talking. Yeah. I, I'd love to. Yeah. That's great. All right. So, obviously, we're, awesome. we're going to have a lot more to talk about. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you, gentlemen. See ya. Good night. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.